The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we're going to learn a lot because we are visiting with us the wonderful Dr. Lena Moyano, who's a DIR floor time provider, a social worker, a PhD, and the list goes on and on and on. And she's going to tell us how she works with parents and families and children and those of us who might have some communications and regulation problems. Lena, welcome to Exploring Different Brains. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Really happy to be here sharing with you. Well, let me tell you, you do such great stuff. How did you get into all this? So it's funny because it was kind of like not planned. It's just kind of like life led me from one thing to another. I uh, started working with kids with autism back in 2005. And I was doing um, applied behavior analysis. And it was very, you know, like strict, discrete trial, look at me, here's your candy sort of thing. And I did that for a while. And I really enjoyed working with kids. And I really enjoyed, you know, having that connection with the child. And, and it was fun. Um, but after a few years, it's like I wanted more. I wanted more because what I saw is that it, it really, the interaction that I was, I was having with the child would not generalize to you know, whatever happened at home or even outside of the office, if you didn't have the little candy or, you know, whatever reward the child was working with, um, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't generalize. So I just started researching and then I found the DIR Florida model and I fell in love with it. And I started getting trained on it and then, uh, you know, opened up my own practice and um, started working with the families, which is much more fulfilling for me. And I think it has much more impact than what I was doing before. For those of us who are unfamiliar with the DIR floor time method, take us through it. What is it? Sure. So the DIR floor time approach is a very comprehensive model. So instead of looking at the behavior of the child alone, we really look at a whole thing, like a whole, like a much more comprehensive thing of what's happening with the child. So we look into how is the child developing. And when I say developing, it's really functional emotional development. So um, we look at attention, you know, like the basic stages of development that many children are not mastering. We look at attention, we look at um, uh, uh, engagement, how, how is the child connected? We look at two-way back and forth communication, like, like a whole thing as far as how the child is developing and we meet the child at the developmental level. Then we look at the individuality of the child um, and this is really understanding how is the child experiencing the world. So it's how is the child receiving all the input from the environment and then how is the child reacting to this input based on their own profile, which is different for, for everyone, for, for all of us. And then the, the other thing that we look into is um, the relationship. So that's the D, development, the individuality of the child, and then the relationship. And this is where, you know, uh, family comes into place. That is, like, how are we relating to the child? And not only the parents, but, you know, like, um, any, and anyone that is interacting with the child, you, you have it also in the schools. How is the teacher relating to the child? And when we talk about relationship, is like what the child is bringing to the table based on their profile, based on, you know, their personality, like, all of that. And then what we... Or bring into the table. 
So working on that relationship, the whole idea is to nourish the relationship, to uh, uh, addressing the individuality of the child, so everything that is happening in, as far as how the child is, is uh, responding and reacting to the world, and then um, to use that to help with the development of the child. And in your method, it's the opposite of one size fits all. Sure. You go to where the patient is. Absolutely. And you connect with the individual and their family. Absolutely. So it's about understanding the child. And, and again, you know, like there is that saying that if you met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Every, every individual is different. So we need to adjust to, to that individual. And then also the parents you know, because working with the families, you're getting into a whole, like a wider thing of understanding how, how, is the, how is the family processing the differences of the child. Is there a different statistic for divorces within the families you treat? I know it's higher. I don't know the, the exact number, but I know um, parents, parents struggle a lot. And if the relationship is not is not fully there, then, you know, it, it, it's difficult. It's difficult. It, my, it's a lot of stress. They go through a lot of stress. In my Aspertool's book, mm -hmm. I call the single moms the uh, angels with the pit bull mentality because they have to do everything. They have to they do everything. Earn the money. they got to fight with the doctor, the school, yes. the teacher, yes. the kid, and everything else. And I think as a professional, what it's important is that you build that alliance with the, with the parents. And I do see that a lot of um, providers can tend to get into a very judgmental um, mindset with the parents, like they're not doing this and I told them to do this and they're not following through and the diet and they're, you know, like really kind of like criticizing what's happening with like, well, like how the parents are behaving. But I think it's important to, to understand that yes, they're going through a lot and that everyone is going through their process of understanding and, and, and grieving in a way in, at their own time. So you cannot rush the process. And, and so again, you know, with, with the parents, you gotta build that relationship with the parents and stay at the level of the parents. So it's almost like you're doing floor with them with the, with, the, with the child, and then you're doing floor them with the parents as well. Where do you find the biggest roadblock, with the parents or with the child? Oh, it's usually with the parents. It's usually with the parents. And that's why I work with the parents, because I can have a beautiful interaction with the child, but if it doesn't translate um, to what happens with the parents, um, you know, it, it's challenging. And I think when we talk about the parents, it's a lot of, I think that a lot of the challenges come from their understanding of what's happening and their own grieving and their own expectations and maybe wanting, wanting a quick solution that is just like, you know, it's going to be a miracle and then, you know, this is going to be a thing of the past that no one is going to know anything about. Uh, so it's also a process of educating the parents and to ease to find ease into the process of like, yes, this is where we are, and it's okay, you know, and things are gonna get better. And you know, just day by day, and, and it's okay, it's okay. When we talk to parents whose child is nonverbal, how is the discussion different? Well, I think with a nonverbal child, what it's important to understand is that, is that you gotta build the foundations. So you see a lot of the parents have this idea that if the child would speak, things would be different. 
but it's important to understand that before speaking, babies, they, before they speak, they engage and they communicate. So even if the child is nonverbal, we gotta work on having that back and forth engagement and that back and forth communication. And if you look at how development happens, babies pull you, babies are very, they, they insist, they, they really do all these things before the language happens. So when the language happens, it's basically kind of like putting a, a label to something that they've experienced already. So it's not like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm putting the word and then things make sense, but it's based on the experience. So that's why it's important with the nonverbal kids to emphasize that that is the experience of sharing that we're going for, not just the words, because what happens is that if you concentrate so much on the words, then um, the interaction slows down. It's like, say it again. But if you, if you understand what the child is saying, you move on and you act like, oh, yeah, that's what you mean. And then maybe you say it to model it in a correct, correct way. But, but you got to just move on and, and keep on, keep on. What we want is to keep the flow of the back and forth, even if it's nonverbal. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the child is trying to communicate. So we want to feed that. It's called communicative intent. That intention to communicate is more important than the actual words. There are people that are capable of producing words, but if they do not have that desire to communicate, it's really meaningless in a way. And in addition to communicating, it's up to you and the parents and anybody to connect because you're not going to get anywhere until you connect. Absolutely. What do you find the biggest barriers to connecting? I think it's our preconceptions of how things should be. And I think it's um, lack of understanding, lack of understanding of what's happening with the child and, and different expectations. So it's almost like if you want to play with a child and um, you want to, let's say, read a book. So you'll get the book and you'll start like, all right, this is how we read the book. But if that's not the idea of the child of how the book should be read or, or not even read, maybe the child just wants to look at the pictures or see or, or hear the sounds of the pages flapping, you know, whatever the idea is of the child. If you're not meeting the child at that level, there is not going to be a connection because you're going to have an agenda which is not the same agenda of the child. So if we slow down and start to really just first watch and see what's the intention of the child. What does the child want? Does the child want me to read the book? Okay, we can engage through that. But does the child want just to flip pages and then be silly with the, with, with the vision of it or, you know, like whatever it is, then, then we got to join the child in what they're doing. And joining is a key word. Huge. Yeah. Huge. When I see certain parents, instead of joining their kid, say, playing with Legos, instead of joining and getting that connection in order to go on to other things, it's put away those Legos. You're always playing with those Legos. Why aren't you doing it? Sure. And so you go into the setting and you first connect with the child. And then you get the parents to buy into it? It's a two-way thing. I, first, I got to connect with the parents and see where they are in their understanding. 
and then connect with the child and then kind of just like make like this little oh he's looking into that oh look at that mommy ah that's what you're doing can i use my app my own affect to join the child and to use that for mom to hook in through my affect to connect with the child so yes, maybe we don't want to play with the toy in the way the toy is supposed to be played with. It doesn't matter because what we're going for is connection, not how A, B, C goes in order. <laughs> you know, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's what if it's interesting for the child, then we use that interest to connect. And that connection is more important. Even if we're doing something that is like a typical or, you know, it, it's, that's not the point. It's connection what we're going for. And you feel that the earlier the intervention, the better? Sure, of course, of course, uh, for the parents and for the and for the child as well. For the parents, because um, if we get the parent to enjoy that interaction with the child earlier, they're already kind of like associating this time with like, oh my gosh, how fun. And the same for the child. You know, if, if the interaction, it's always like, say that again, what did you say? Use your words, that's not fun. What's the name of this? What color is this? What animal is this? That's, that's quizzing. That's not, that's not a joyful interaction. So what we want is really help the parent understand this so they both can have fun. And this is so important because it has to be on both sides. I remember one time I saw a mom and mom was like, oh, he played the whole, you know, we played the whole weekend and, you know, hours. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how exciting. So did you guys have fun? And mom said he was having fun. I wasn't because the child was repeating and repeating. So that's when you kind of like wait a second. So, so there's something that needs to be adjusted there because it needs to be joyful for both of them. And that joy is rewarding on its own. When you're having a joyful interaction, you want to have it again and again and again. So if you talk in behavioral terms, the, the joy is the reward, the reinforcer. What's the biggest difference you find when you work with children whose brains might be different versus adults? Yeah, it is, it is different. And I think um, the challenge is that they've been oftentimes been misunderstood for a very long time. And oftentimes they are associating interacting with people as seeing, with, with stress, you know, having to follow rules. Um, Remember, I was having an, an interaction with an adult, and he started looking. He was looking at the at the blind. I'm looking at the blinds right now, but he was looking at the blinds, and he was just like fascinating with it, and 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 it was hard for him to interact with me, because his attention was on the blinds. So right away, I was like, "Oh, you're looking at that," and he was like, "No, I'm not. Okay, no." But it was almost like he's been he's been conditioned to not do that thing. Uh, that, is, that is just like, okay, I, I need to, I, it's a lot of stress. Whereas you've been, you, you've been having an interaction since you're a child to go into, oh my gosh, you're right, look at those lines. Isn't that cool? Then it's almost like in a, in a mental health way, you're building a lot of um, uh, confidence on yourself. And, and it's like, okay, yes, it's, it's good to be who I am. It, I mean, I'm, I am accepted the way that I am. Whereas an older person that maybe hasn't had that type of interaction, it's going to be much more anxious about interacting in a way where it needs, uh, rules need to be followed in a certain way. So that, that's kind of just like harder to break those patterns. 
Now, for someone in our audience who's maybe thinking of going into a career such as yours, what is the recommended pathway for them? People get into doing this work of DIR flooring from different professions. Um, working particularly with the families, I think having a mental health background is, is excellent because you can understand it and because you can connect and because you can you know, really acquire tools to, to really build that, that engagement and that connection with the child at the mental health level. So um, mental health would be like a good, like a good um, pathway. That background. And your background was in social work initially? Yeah, yeah. I, I started socio in doing sociology in my undergrad, and I had no idea what I wanted. Right. And, you know, just like one thing led to another. Then I did um, my master's in, in social work, which is a very clinical, it's a mental health title, basically. Um, and, you know, just one thing led to another, and then I fell in love with it. I found this, and it was just like, it makes sense. It make, like when I started learning about the IR floor time, it really, it fit what I already believed. So it was like, yes, you know. I'm and, home. Yes. And it's beautiful because it's the experience of a lot of people that really get into the model. It's like, oh my gosh, this, this has already been said. You know, it's not, there's a whole background behind this. It's not just me wanting to do things differently with a child, but it's like there's already a whole model that backs it up. And the, um, your PhD was at Nova Southeastern University. Yes, it was an EDD, educational doctorate, in, uh, in a special education with a minor in autism. And they have quite uh, great facilities over oh, there. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Bowdoin School. Exactly, and all the other, all exactly. The other stuff. Um, who are some of the colleagues you work with locally around here in Broward County, Florida? In Broward County, I work closely with Dr. Jenny Trocchio. In fact, uh, the two of us, we run a support group for, for parents, and we are really creating a community of people who, who, follow this, who follow these ideas, you know? And even if they don't apply the IR floor time, they have uh, therapy on their own or anything, but really that they wanna, that they see their kids in a different way, in a more developmentally, developmentally way. So we do a lot of things for the community, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful connection to have. What are the biggest limiting factors in your practice, would you say? I think that um, it's limiting the fact that people are, most people are not aware of this type of intervention. Um, usually when people go to pediatricians or, you know, neurologists right away, they give a prescription for ABA and they are not aware of other, of other alternatives, you know, like other, other ways of, of treating the child. Um, if you're in California or in, in, in other places like bigger cities, it's, uh, it's not a question, you know, like uh, you are, you're told, okay, this child has this condition, you can either do ABA, these are the providers, you can do DIR floor time, these are the providers, so you choose. Here we don't have that. So the challenge, not the challenge, but what I do need to do is uh, educate the families of, okay, this is not, we're different. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing the child in a different way. And it's interesting, so it goes state by state, huh? Yes. Yeah. And is there lobbying and stuff that goes oh, on in Florida? Huge. Uh, in Florida, we are like very behind. In Florida, we're really behind. In California, California is a big one. California was actually, and I need to follow up on what happened, but they were actually passing a legislation to, to allow parents to have choices, you know, so, so for insurance companies to cover, to cover floor time.
as a form of therapy. So what type of parents who might be watching this interview, who has a child whose brain's a bit different, what, are the, what would they be dealing with? Would you say that then they might give someone like you a call? They'd be dealing with um, frustrations. A lot of the child, children that I, that I have, it's, it's really helping them build that, that uh, regulation, um, being stubborn, being very, very rigid, being, or being very disorganized all over the place and really having a hard time making that connection. There's different challenges, you know, um, but it, and, and, and along all of that, it's really having a hard time making that connection with the child. You know, so I want to play with my child, but my child pushes me away and wants to do something different. So then we go to the facts and see, like, all right, let's see. Where, where is the child's interest? Where is the mommy's interest? We can help. What made you choose treating children rather than adults? I, um, when I was doing my, my internship, when I was doing my, my license, my, not my license, but my master's in clinical social work, I did an internship with adults and it was very challenging. And um, when I was doing that internship, it really led me to, 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 work, to want to work with children because I felt that I was going to have a bigger impact helping the parents understand the children than working with the adults. So that's how kind of just like I, I, I moved into deciding, like, like children, I do want to work with children. And then when your children that you're working with reach a certain age, is there someone that you hand them off to or recommend to the parents? or Like, for instance, here at differentbrains.org, mm-hmm. all of our interns are a minimum of 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is I feel that we as a society have inadvertently discriminated against adults because it's all about the cute little kids. You're completely right. And they grow up. I know, and I'm guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of the problem. Um, so where do, the, um, where do you recommend the adults go? Like, to what age do you follow? Because it sounds like your love and your best effect is with the much younger children. Yeah, and I usually do not have a lot of... A lot of um, 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 uh, how do you say that? Like people asking for, for, for services for adults. I usually, I, my clientele, like the people who come to me are usually kids. So I really, I, I haven't really faced that, that situation of like, oh, I don't know. You know, and, and teenagers I see, and, and once in a while I see like a 20, 22 year old. So, so that's kind of just like, I, I'm, I'm also capable of doing that. But yes, my passion is working with the, li- with the little ones and with the parents. And when you work with the little ones, uh, is there a certain amount of time you usually work with them or it's very variable? Or it's very it- variable. It really depends on the family. It really depends on the child. It, it depends on, on what's happening. Sometimes seeing the child once a week for a couple of months might do a huge difference and then that, that already has an impact on the child. Then maybe later we see the child every other week or once a month, you know, it really depends on the child. But then there's other families that I'm like, all right, let's, let's do more intensive because, you know, both of you need more. Both of you, and what I say need more is like both mommy and child or daddy and child need to spend more time having this connection, which I know it's hard to have it at home, you know? So it's like we're practicing here so you can have the tools to do all of that at home. So Lena Moyano, it's been so great talking to you. Um, 
Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this conversation. How can people learn more about you? They can go to my webpage, www.crcautism.com. And what does the CRC stand for? My center is called Children's Relationship Center. That's my practice. The Children's Relationship Center. Uh -huh. Dr. Lena Mayano, thank you so much for being with us here in another episode of Exploring Different Brands. Thank you so much for having me. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.